Welcome to the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. I am Dr. Nicole Lowe, and with me is Dr. Stephanie Edmonds. We are both PhD-prepared nurses and the founders of Woman-Centered Health. Join us as we talk with health professionals and researchers who can help you improve your communication with patients about sexual and reproductive health. Please visit our website to learn more and connect with us on social media by going to www.womancenteredhealth.com. Welcome to the Women Centered Health Podcast. On this episode, we're doing something a little different that we're very excited about. On this episode, we are speaking with our first sponsor. While we love providing our listeners with communication tools, we also thought it would be beneficial to talk about other types of tools or products that can help women. So today we are speaking with Jeff Isner and Taylor Stein from Engaged MD. We reached out to Engaged MD because consent or lack thereof has been a historical issue within sexual and reproductive health. So Stephanie, and I thought that this was an interesting program to help providers, but especially women and patients with the consenting process. If after the show you're interested in learning more or want to reach out to Engaged MD, you can find more information on our website at www.womancenteredhealth.com or you can find them directly at engage-md.com. And we'll be speaking with Engaged MD about their fertility consenting process. All right, so Taylor and Steph, we like to start out by asking our guests to give our listeners a short background about themselves. So if you could just start out by having you talk a little bit about yourselves and your role with Engaged MD. Hi, my name is Jeff Isner. It's a pleasure to speak with you both. So we started the company about five years ago. Taylor and I are the co-founders of Engaged MD. And a little bit of background about myself personally I always thought that I wanted to be a doctor and actually spent some time following physicians around when I was in high school and quickly realized it wasn't for me. I had a love for the medical space, but just actually actually practicing was not up my alley. So I went into engineering and actually ended up focusing into IT at the beginning of my career and really fell in love with software. I was working at a larger company at Capital One, and that's where I met Taylor. And we kind of got together and had the opportunity to start this business together where I could really put the love of healthcare back into action, take some of the best practices that I've learned from studying engineering and IT at a big company and really try and make an impact in the healthcare space. Thank you. And Taylor, what about you? Yeah, so my name is Taylor Stein. I also want to thank you for having us on your podcast. It's a really exciting opportunity. So my background is sort of similar to Jess in that I got my career start in engineering. I was a computer science undergrad, and then I went to work at Capital One where Jeff and I met, and I was doing a lot of risk management work. And growing up, my mom actually always wanted us to get into medical devices. And I was never that interested in it. But while I was working at Capital One, I got in touch with a family friend who was a physician who actually came up with the idea of Engaged MD. And it really got me excited about the prospect of working in healthcare. And so I wanted to combine my work experience, my educational experience to help address some of the key issues uh, facing healthcare today. And so we've been in this world for the last five years, and it's been really, really exciting and fulfilling opportunity. Yeah, so some common threads here. We both studied engineering. We both love solving problems. We both wanted to 
go on our own and, and do something a little bit more entrepreneurial after getting some experience in a bigger corporate picture and just had a great opportunity to make an impact in women's health and educate patients and make sure that they're properly informed. So I think it's really interesting that you guys both have engineering backgrounds or met while you're working at Capital One. So then I feel like the obvious next question is why Engaged MD or how did you come up with Engaged MD and why the consenting process? Sure. So the inception of Engaged MD, actually, this story revolves around a third more silent co-founder who is a very prominent physician in the fertility space, also a very entrepreneurial physician who saw this issue with his patients and with the patients of his colleagues. And he really identified the issue as follows. So going through fertility treatment is a really, really challenging process for a patient and their partner because there's so much information that they have to understand in order to make informed decisions about their care. And while practices really try to do as good a job as they can in this process, without having additional resources to help them out, they're forced to rely solely on in-practice consultations, follow-up emails and phone calls with the nurses, and then just the legal paperwork to get the information across to patients. And there really wasn't anything out there to help support the practitioners in that process. And the result was that everybody was getting information a little bit differently. It wasn't tailored to their learning style. And by the way, most people are visual learners and not audio learners. And if you can combine video and audio in a multimedia way, like through video, your retention of information goes through the roof. And so that sort of resource wasn't available. And there were a number of issues from patient satisfaction to inconsistencies to too much time being spent to the risk management issues when you're not consistent. And he really felt that that was a big problem that was worth addressing. And so That's how we got pulled in through our relationship with him. And we brought our skills to bear. He brought his talents to bear. And that's how we got involved. There's one major factor that I think this entire conversation will continue to circle back to. And the physician really felt that the patient on the other side of the desk had that deer in headlights look 95% of the time. It's just drinking from a fire hose when you're at a doctor's office. And I think that's accurate when you're talking about any serious medical procedure or intervention, but fertility care in particular is just so complex. There's so many drugs, there's so many procedures, and it was doing a disservice to most importantly, the patient to not give the proper tools to comprehend all of this important information, but it was also just frustrating for everybody at the practice. Yeah, this is really awesome. So obviously, women-centered health is about health communication and communication with your provider. So this is right up our alley, so to speak. So what would you say is the mission or the goal of Engaged MD? The mission of Engaged MD is really to help patients and providers interact more effectively so that not only is our outcomes improved, but the experience of care is also improved. We think that that's really important, especially as we're moving towards more patient-centered care and 
especially when you're talking about elective procedures like in vitro fertilization. And also, honestly, really challenging from a mental health perspective. It's really important that patients are brought into the process in an effective way and that the experience of going through this process is a good one. The word engaged was uh, very purposefully used to ensure that patients are engaged in the process, ensure that physicians and their medical teams are engaged with their patients, making sure that there's that proper communication bridge. So as Taylor mentioned, it just continues to move more and more towards a patient-centered care model where patients really have to be engaged in this entire process so that they're empowered to make good decisions that are right with their value system. So can you talk a little bit about what exactly is Engaged MD? Sure. So we've created a web-based platform that we provide to medical practices in the fertility space. And this web-based tool allows practitioners to provide their patients with these thorough educational modules, as we call them, which consists of a series of really well-produced educational content in video format that patients and their significant others can watch in the comfort of home. So patients will go through these video series. We have some interaction between the platform and the patient to make sure that they really understand the key points, the key process, the risks, the alternatives, everything that needs to be conveyed to a patient to ensure that they've got the right things at hand to make an informed decision. All that information is fed back to the medical practice so that they can see exactly where their patients are in this journey. They can see what they understood, what they didn't understand, and how to best interact with that patient when they are having that valuable time together. And to tie everything up, we really focus on the entire informed consent process. So after a patient learns what they need to learn, we've documented that they've understood everything. We've got nice reports to show what that conversation should be based on when they're in person. They're actually able to electronically sign off on all of the informed consent documentation through our platform as well. So our ultimate goal is to have a, a one-stop shop for practices to manage the educational process and the informed consent process all online where patients and their partners are the most comfortable. So then I'm assuming that within the program, there must be knowledge check assessments that patients must complete? Yeah, that's right. We take an active learning approach. So After a patient learns about a snippet of information, we ask a few comprehension questions that really are meant to just reinforce the important points to take home. And it's all very encouraging. Patient gets something wrong. We give little nudges, just giving them more information about that particular topic so that they can answer it correctly, make sure that they've got the right information as they make health decisions. Great. And how long is the program? It depends on what the treatment protocol is can be anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour and a half, two hours of content and interaction with the platform. So it it really depends on a a case-by-case basis on what the patient is going through. We try to create as individualized as an approach as possible. Just going to add that depending on that treatment protocol, there might be different modules that patients might see at different points in their treatment. So for example, they might learn about their genetic testing options. And then they might learn about in vitro fertilization, or they might do an IUI cycle first and learn about IUI and then come back for an IVF. So we try to tailor it as much as possible to the patient's individual treatment protocol and their experience with the practice throughout their entire relationship together. 
Is this something then the doctor kind of has control over and saying like, okay, you need to do these modules. How does that get decided? So it's all based on that individual patient. So it's typically somebody at the practice that's deciding on a patient by patient basis. We also do integrate with EMRs. So if there's an integration available, then the clinical data in EMR and the progress data in EMR can kick off different educational resources for the patient. Wow. So could you talk about how you developed the video modules? Like if you used any learning theories or things that you guys kept in mind when developing these? Absolutely. Happy to answer that. So it was definitely a challenge at first. And we spent a lot of time trying to learn best practices of how learning management systems exist in the broader corporate space, as well as in medicine. So We had a lot of input from educators, a lot of input from many physicians, as well as from all of the societies within the reproductive medicine field. So it was a huge exercise of gathering input from many, many resources and then partnering with experts in actually developing content to create this really, what we think is engaging video content. So there's many medical reviews that occur throughout the process as we create new video series. We'll bring in lawyers on an as-needed basis. We'll bring in educators and script writers on an as-needed basis. And then, of course, we try to work with top-notch animators and we'll do live film shoots. So there's a lot of different pieces that need to come together in order to produce high-quality video content. And it's a constant challenge and balance to find to make sure that we're providing this information, collecting feedback, and continuing to provide the best experience for patients so that when they're with their providers, it's efficient and it's a really effective conversations. Yeah. And then just to add on to that, one challenge with producing content like this is that the medicine changes. So the protocols change, the recommendations change, and we need to be on top of those changes as they come about. So if you were an individual practice trying to produce this content yourself, then you would need to be continuously updating it, which is a huge challenge. And so we're always in contact with the societies and leaders in the field to understand what changes are coming down the pike so that we can update our content and push it to our clients and our users as soon as possible. So Zika, for example, when Zika became a big issue and consent around Zika, we got to work and produced a module based on the recommendations for Zika. And with all the changes in genetics, the changes in IVF protocols, it's a constant battle to stay ahead of the curve as those changes come around. I think that's true across medicine, but particularly true in reproductive medicine because it's such a new field and technology evolves so quickly. So it's not only the content that we're constantly looking at and evaluating and garnering feedback on, It's also our platform itself. Technology is changing constantly, and we want to be a state-of-the-art platform, and we want patients to have great experiences and want providers to have great experiences. So it's a constant updating process, making sure that we are on the front lines of everything that's changing. Wow, I'm impressed. Yeah, and could you just kind of describe what a module might look like? Like, is it actors? Is it animated? Yeah, so we tried a bunch of different formats out. 
And the one that we landed on that we found to be the most effective, it's called motion graphics. And you can think of it like animation. It's basically simplified graphics that move around the screen and are animated to a degree. And the reason why it's such a good format is because it really helps to simplify complex topics and make it understandable for patients. And then on top of that, when you're thinking about doing translations and making updates, motion graphics is a great format for that. So most of our content is based around motion graphics. On top of that, when there's interesting opportunities to have shots from the lab or shots through a microscope, we do that. So there's a really cool sequence in one of our videos of of an embryo going through all the different phases until the blastocyst phase that really gives patients a really cool view into what's actually going on while the embryo is in, in incubation. So we try to use a multitude of formats, but focused around motion graphics. Yeah, it's funny you say that the exact same animation and live shot was coming to mind as you were explaining it. As a patient, you don't know, I think the embryos are a great example, you don't know what's going on behind the laboratory doors. It's some practices in different ways to see what's happening on a day-by-day basis, but all you know is you put all of this time and energy into creating eggs and fertilizing them, and then something's happening in a laboratory. And of course, patients are curious. They want to know. And so we've been really fortunate to have access to these different laboratories to do the live shots and to get camera crews in there. And I think when you have something that's so medical and so complex, like an embryo, and then you can show this simplified graphic and how it's evolving side by side. It's just an amazing way to convey complex information. So it sounds like you really took a lot of time and you have a lot of input from like medical societies and experts and professionals. And I'm just curious, have patients or people you know, not in the medical community? Have they had any input? Do you guys do any research like throughout the process with how people engage with it? We try and garner as much input as possible from across the board. So one way in which we get patient feedback is the opportunity at the end of every single e-learning module, we offer up a survey to patients and We've had about 20,000 patients to date respond to this survey. And, you know, it was my biggest fear when we started this company was this is a lot of information. Will patients like learning in this matter? Will it actually work? Or will this just be viewed as homework before somebody can get to work and start their procedure? So that was by far my biggest qualm as we, we started the company. So we're always looking at the feedback. We're always looking at the commentary and we're always learning about what we can do better in the next iteration. I'm really pleased to say that patients respond incredibly well to this. They really, they're on the Facebook forums, they're on blogs, they're on Dr. Google already. So they viewed this as a physician trusted source overwhelmingly. And so it makes me really happy that we're achieving a great mission of giving patients a great tool. And it's a place where they can find comfort, get the information they need, and most importantly, they can trust it. Yeah. And actually, we are working on a controlled study right now that is going to the IRB, and it's going to look at patients using this platform versus a control group at a few different sites Uh, academic medical centers around the country. And we are going to publish that data, hopefully for ASRM next year. 
it's being run by a physician, Dr. Lindheim from Wright State University and Jody Madeira from Indiana University. And in advance of that study, they've pulled our survey data from the modules and have done an analysis of that survey information. And that analysis is being published in Fertility and Sterility in one of the upcoming editions. So for folks that are interested in what patients have to think about this learning method, that information will be available in Fertility and Sterility very soon. I've been very fortunate to have some great researchers like Dr. Madeira and Dr. Lindheim see our cause, find it interesting, and want to study it further. That's awesome. You mentioned patients going on to social media and Google to seek answers about infertility issues or fertility procedures. Is there a mechanism in Engaged MD where people can sort of interact back with their provider, if that makes sense. So if they have questions about something that they learned on EngagedMD, how do they sort of interact back with their provider? Yeah, that's a great question. So when we initially released this, we had functionality for that built into the program. And the feedback we got from practices is that the channel that they prefer to interact with patients on is either through their patient portal directly or through email. And having a third channel of discussion through the application was too much for them. And so we ended up taking that out of the platform. So really the way that patients would come into the practice and talk about questions that came up during their engagement would would be to take notes and bring them in. We're exploring additional ways to enhance that interaction at the moment. The report that's generated for the physicians is one way that physicians can interact with patients using the Engaged MD product. But we think that there are a lot of opportunities to just continue to further enhance that paradigm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I actually see what you're saying, just being a nurse and taking a lot of phone calls and emails and portal messages from patients. Yeah. Yes, there's there's a little bit too many things to check. <laughs> and, you, and one of them you forget about. <laughs> so yeah. I, I can see that for sure. It was very clear that we had just added an additional channel that was redundant. So uh, quickly removed it. So it sounds like obviously you're getting really great response from patients and they're having a great experience. I'm just curious if you could talk more about what benefit do providers see using this program? Oh, absolutely. When we go to conferences, it's the providers that use our software. They all come up to our booth and they're like, thank you so much. On the physician side, I like to say it's like if you were going to a college course and you had a lecture and It's like doing the pre-reading for that lecture. You come in, you're ready to go, you understand the core concepts. When things come up, you can ask intelligent, informed questions. You can have a much more elevated discussion. And when you leave that lecture, you've internalized the information. And that lecture is the physician consultation. Then compare that to the student that doesn't do the pre-reading. They come in. This is the first time they've heard most of these concepts, and they're in that deer in the headlights look that Jeff mentioned. And it's really just a one-way conversation. The physician 
just going through all the most basic information to the patient and the patient gathering as much as they can. What do they do? They go home, they come up with a million questions and they email and they call and you're getting those portal messages that you mentioned. And that's a bad experience for the physician for a number of reasons. One is because they're using their time and they're spending a lot of that just going over very basic information. And not only is that repetitive for the physician, but it takes a long time. And physicians, there's a huge demand for physicians' time. And so using that valuable time for just the most basic of information is not great. And then when patients don't have an opportunity to ask the questions that they're going to need to ask in that consultation, it's the follow-up phone calls that are done after hours, the emails. And so physicians, just when they're using HMD, they have more efficient more interactive conversations, and it's just a more pleasant experience for them overall. And they're really happy that their patients are more comfortable. And then where we really see a lot of impact is with the patient care coordinators and the nurses who are typically the ones that are fielding a lot of those questions that come up afterwards. And not only are they fielding fewer questions, but in their interactions with patients, they can use much more elevated language and they're saving a lot of time and their time is stretched incredibly thin as well. So, you know, across the board, there's benefits for the practitioners. Yeah, so I think the nurses and the administrative staff are the ones that are really left picking up the pieces. If a physician is strapped for time or if the patient was just overwhelmed and wasn't absorbing what was going on during the consultation, it's really landing on nurses and administrators to answer questions and spend their time amongst everything else that they're already doing at the practice, making sure that patients have the answers that they need to feel comfortable. So again, our ultimate goal here is to give the patients resources so that they have them easily accessible. And when they are spending that time together with their nursing team or their physician, they're having more intimate, just better conversations. We don't aim to replace human interaction. We just want it to be better interaction more effective, more efficient, and really particular to the, the particular needs of the patient. So you talked a lot about how providers can personalize the engaged MD modules to the patient's treatment plan. Are you able to personalize the program at all to provider practices? Yeah. While most of our content is applicable to every provider, Certainly, we've run into cases where a specific practice has a policy or they believe in something that other practices aren't practicing. And in those cases, they want their patients to see information that's applicable to them. And so we do have the ability to customize that information to that practice so that what the practice does is aligned with the content that the patient is seeing. Yeah, that makes sense. We also allow for practices and providers to provide their own content. So they want to introduce themselves or if they have something that they want to make sure their patients are seeing, they can use our platform to have that interactivity, to have that consent documentation. So if you want to record yourself on an iPhone and put it on the platform, that's an option for providers as well. 
Wow. So we've obviously talked a lot about how great this program is and and truly it is. And, you know, being researchers, we have to ask, are there any drawbacks or negatives or any issues you've had with the program? Sure. To answer the first question about drawbacks, really what we're doing is providing additional resources to patients. So I don't see any real drawbacks with providing patients with a new resource that they didn't have before. And then beyond that, it's all about how you implement the process. So certainly if you have patients who have gone through four cycles and you're making them do the whole module every cycle, that's not going to be a good experience for the patient. So we try to work with every practice to develop workflows that are going to be good for patients. And that's a really important part of this whole process because you can't just flip a switch and expect that it's going to solve the world's problem. So you need to be like anything else you do in the practice. You need to be smart about how you implement it. The other thing to be cognizant of is it's another IT platform. And so practices have been burned by EMRs in the past, bad service, clunky interfaces, patients don't like it. And they see another IT platform and think it's going to be the same thing. We have done everything we can to learn the lessons from more consumer-facing software products to make that experience as streamlined as possible so that any extra work you have to do to enroll patients, for example, is 20 seconds. And the benefit you get is in significantly more time savings. So I think practices, they are a little wary of new IT systems in their workflows. And so we try to do everything possible to not only make it more streamlined, but also to show that the value you're going to get out of it is well worth the cost of having another system. Yeah, we're part of this paradigm shift that's been occurring for the past hundred years and is still moving really quickly from, we talked about earlier, physician-centered care to patient-centered care. And that is, it's a change curve. And we're trying to be in front of it and push the needle and make it so that things continue to be more and more patient-centered and physicians and their care teams have the right tools. But I think we all know healthcare is a little bit behind when it comes to technology and we're really pushing that forward as hard as we can, but that does come with its challenges. Yeah, so you talked about implementation of your system, making sure that that's done appropriately. So could you talk just briefly about how providers' offices do incorporate your program into their practice? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a dedicated relationship manager with every one of our clients. And when they decide to start using EngageMD, what they do is they work with our relationship manager and they break down their processes. What are the different interaction points with the patient and what are the challenges with the existing process? And how should EngageMD be best incorporated and how can it improve the process? And because we work with so many practices, we have a lot of lessons learned. And so we're able to take those best practices and incorporate them into our new relationships. And then there's an implementation period where we help train the staff on how to use it. And then they're sort of off to the races and we're always just a phone call away to help support and and, and help address new challenges. 
the most important thing out of that entire process is understanding where the practice currently is. So there are some common themes with how fertility practices educate and get consent forms signed and ensure that the loops are closed. But every practice is a little bit unique and we're cognizant of that. So we really put a lot of energy and a lot of time of understanding where practices are and how we can fit in without being disruptive so that you can see the benefits and you're not dealing with any drawbacks or minimal drawbacks of new tools and new processes. So we really put our focus on listening, on understanding and making recommendations, like Taylor said, based on the groups from the country, the U.S. and the U.K. that are using our platform. You talk about healthcare kind of being behind the technology curve and, you know, the concerns about, oh, another interface, another IT platform. And I'm one of these people who, when I have technical issues, I want to talk to a person. And so I'm just curious if there are any issues, technical issues or otherwise, what is your availability for providers or patients to be like, hey, something's wrong? How do we get assistance? Yeah. Within the application itself, there's a button you can press, and that's going to open up a chat window with a real person at EngageMD. And that person is going to be extremely helpful. So we're not referring you to outside documentation or anything like that. We're going to sit there and talk to you about the issue. Also, we establish strong relationships with folks at the practices, and they can pick up the phone and call us anytime, and we'll be there to talk to them. And we provide that support to every single practice that we work with. We're here to make the patient experience and the practice work smoother. And part of that is if something comes up, we need to have good service. That's something the EMRs haven't done well. And that's been a problem. And so we really put that at the forefront. User experience has been the number one priority from day one. When Taylor and I were working in the baking industry, the company that we were working at had that same priority because they saw a huge problem with end users, just normal people trying to do banking and having a bad experience. And we were able to see firsthand when they prioritized customer experience, the amazing effects that it had. And so from day one, we've always said, we don't want to be like everybody else. We want to make sure that the people who are on the platform, they need to call somebody that can get a hold of them. We have many different outlets to get access to support, to make sure that if there are problems, you got answers quickly. Perfect. I Yeah, I'm definitely one of those people who think that's really important. An interesting pattern that we found is that the staff at practices runs the gamut from people who are real technologists to people who are, frankly, they don't like new technology and they'd rather do everything the old way. And the interesting thing is, in practices where there are, you know, one or two of those people who are really resistant to new technology, once they're up and running and using it, they're usually the biggest fans because we are different than the other technology providers out there in the healthcare space. And their expectation is that it's going to be a big challenge. But when the reality hits that they're saving time in all these ways and it's really not hard to administer the program, they're the people who the biggest fans. So it's an interesting pattern that we've seen. Yeah, I think that was interesting that you brought up the whole, I, I think that a lot of healthcare providers got burned with EHRs. Yes. 
and how, I mean, still, like how difficult it is to navigate them and the lack of support. So <laughs> I think that's probably where that's coming from. <laughs> the bar is set way too low and healthy. It is. <laughs> yeah. All right. So since our podcast is communication-based, how do you suggest providers talk about this program to their patients? So I think the most important thing to convey is that this is a resource that we've vetted that will really help you make great informed decisions. That's the most important thing. This is trusted. Everybody has at our practice has seen this. It's a really great way for you to learn where you're most comfortable with your significant others, where you don't have to drink from a fire hose. So that's in a simple statement. It's vetted and it's for you to take home and and just a great resource for you to make good decisions with. I'm in total agreement. I mean, we always talk about informed consent as a non-delegable duty. So this program is not to replace the doctor. It's to make your interactions with your medical team more effective. So when I talk to physicians about this and they say, I really like my interactions with my patients. I don't want to give that up. My response to them is, you're going to have better interactions with your patients if you use Engaged MD. And just like that lecturer who has the students that come in that done the pre-reading, it's going to be a better use of everybody's time. And so you really want to encourage your patients to go through this. And then you want to talk to them and you want to talk about their specific issues. Yeah, I think I've said empowering the patient a couple of times throughout this podcast, but it's really empowering the physicians and their medical teams to, to have those better interactions Empowerment. That's one of our podcast buzzwords. Nice. I think we talk about empowerment in almost every episode. So (laughs) very fitting that this also fits in with this. (laughs) Well, so do you guys have any last thoughts that you would like to add before we wrap up? Yeah, I would just like to say if any listeners out there are interested in better patient education, better patient engagement, if you have any big problems that you think could be solved using a technology like this, we would love to talk to you. I mean, the people who are working with patients every day, you're the ones who are who identify the issues, and we would love to speak with you. Perfect. I just want to thank the two of you. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. and definitely love what you guys are doing and the, the topics that you're trying to bring to the spotlight, to the forefront. So really appreciate it out to us. Well, thank you guys. You guys are doing awesome work as well. Yes. And we appreciate you really committing to something that has really been an issue to sexual and reproductive health and that is consent or lack thereof. So it's really exciting to kind of hear what you're doing and how you're really trying to make an imprint and affect the consenting process in such a intimate and private space. Well, we really appreciate it and appreciate, you know, reaching out to us and setting all the steps. And as always, we hope that you enjoyed another episode of the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. We are always looking for new supporters, sponsors, and guests. So if you'd like to be on our show or know someone who you think would be perfect, let us know. You can find more information on how to support us and contact us on our website at www.womancenteredhealth.com. 